Hello. Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osban, here with my friend, Chavruta and Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Shkalim, daf Yud Dalit. We are more than halfway there. We've already released our information for our upcoming Siyam. We know this was not a you know long interval between Masachat and also we had Pesach. Uh, but please try to join us. If you want to share some Torah, please do so. We will have a special speaker this time that we're working on, an archaeologist. Uh, so we're excited to celebrate with you all. Uh, this was a very long death, and Anne and I had, you know, trouble sort of trying to figure out uh, what we wanted to talk about. Um, but uh, I think we're not, obviously, we're not going to get to everything. So I think we're just going to pick out a couple of key stories here that are primarily on uh, on Ahmed Aleph, and I'll begin. Nuhanya Chofer Sichin. So Nuhanya was the digger of ditches. This is actually on the bottom of Ahmed uh, of, Gimel, uh, Ahmed Bet. He would dig ditches and caves, which was the rock that had to have cool water, and which rock had heated water, and how far the rock's heat extended. So it's not just that he was digging, but remember, this digging needed to take place because when people would do pilgrimages up to Yerushalayim, they needed to have access to water. And now the Gemara tells us something interesting about Nechunya, right? Amar Ravi Eliezer, uh, sorry, Amar Ravi Acha, Ravi Acha says, Umit bino But even though he sort of was the giver of water to everybody, what happened to him? His son actually died of thirst. And they don't really give any particular details on this. But now the Gemara is going to go on to talk about this type of theme where somebody sort of who seems to be great is punished for, you know, other misdeeds that they did. I'm a Ravi Chanina. Ravi Chanina says, Vatran, right? One who says that uh, the merciful one is, is lax. In other words, doesn't sort of give out punishment. Yivatran mei'ai. His bowels should be relaxed, right? In other words, he should be uh, sort of afflicted with bad diarrhea. Elama Rather, we should say that, you know, Hashem is slow to anger. The gabe didei. But ultimately, he collects his due. So it's not that Hashem doesn't punish. It does not that God doesn't punish, but that it takes a long time to get God angry enough that God's actually going to met out punishment if those sinners still doesn't, you know, sort of do teshuva in some way. Um, and then they give uh, some, uh, they give two biblical sources for this, this piece I'm going to, to skip. And then they tell another story. Rabbi Chagai b'shem Shmuel Bar Nachman. So Rabbi Chagai says the name of Shmuel Bar Nachman. There was a story of a certain pious man, who would um, uh, who would also do all of this digging. Now, presumably, this person is not Nochunya, because I think they would have identified him by name, but it seems to be that he does the same things that he did. One time, his wife was traveling um, to her wedding, and she was swept away by a river. And all the people came to him, come to this pious man, and they tried to console him. But he wouldn't be consoled. Um, so our friend Rabbi Pinchas Benyar reappears in this story, he comes to him, and he also tries to console him. And he also, this pious man would also not accept his uh, his consolation. Amar Lan, so Rabbi Pinchas Benyar said to them, says to the, you know, the, the townsfolk basically, Dinhu Chun, right? Is this your pious one? Amru Lei, they said to him, Rabbi, 
right? He did this and that. In other words, yeah, he gave the whole, all the people water, right? And this falls to him. So this story is essentially sort of like the quintessential, like Sadik Viralo. Here we have this good person, right? And he, um, you know, digs water. And then what happens? His water, his daughter actually drowns by water. Like this doesn't make sense to anybody. And that also explains why he refuses to be comforted. Amar, so Rabbi Pinchas Benyar says, is it possible that he, this person, honored his creator with water, and the creator would cut him down or destroy him with water? Immediately, a, a sort of a rumor spread to the city, the daughter of this man has come out safely. She actually was saved. There are those who say, that she was caught on a branch, and that's how she was saved. And those who say, came in the form of Rabbi Pinchas ben Yachir and actually saved her. This story is fascinating because it basically concludes that we can't have Sadik Viralo, right? That something had to have happened and that everybody's interpretation of what happened just possibly could not be true. And I love the second opinion of who it is that actually saved her, Right. The first one is that she, she held on to a branch. But the second one almost is that where Pinchas Bayagir needed to some divine intervention had to happen because this was so uh, unsettling to people to see somebody, you know, be punished by the act by the actual way of how they actually honored God. And, you know, again, I think this is just a great example where we see that the Gemara deals with many of the theological issues that we continue to struggle with today. And this is one way of dealing with it. You know, I don't know that it's really dealing with it. It's, 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 this is a story of non-acceptance. Like, this is a story that says it can't possibly be true. And the good person actually does get rewarded in the end. I mean, isn't that what we always want? Yes, the story is right? I mean, ends the way we want it to end. But we know that it's not actually true. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the problem, that, that these kinds of things are not necessarily the way we want them to be. It's so much easier, smoother, if good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, um, which is not our experience of the world. Okay, I'm going to jump ahead. I think it's ahead. Yeah. Okay, so as your Dana said, there's, as you said, your Dana, there's so much that we wanted to talk about here. Um, and I should note that we have even two Mishnayot on Amabet that we're actually going to leave to our co-learners to learn on their own if they so choose. Um, because some of these stories were just, you know, so engaging. I didn't want to let it go. Um, basically, all of Amadalaf follows the Mishnah from yesterday, which was the whole list of all the people and what they do. So here we've got a whole list of everybody, what they do. And now I've got two sections here of Beit Garmu and Beit Avtinas, where they each were respect responsible. This is now, I think, the third or fourth time that we're hearing about them. Beit Garmu was responsible for the preparation of the Lechem Apanim, Right, that's the bread that's baked every week, and it's you know there for the week on the mizbeach or on the shulchan rather in the in the temple. Okay, so what happened is that this family was responsible for making sure that the lechem apanim was was baked, was ready, and the gemara here says beit garmu hayu bekiin b'masel lechem apanim or b'ridiato lamed. They were experts in the lechem apanim and also in taking it out of the oven making sure that it would not be ruined. And they didn't want to teach that to anybody else. 
So the question of why they didn't want to teach it to anybody else is not exactly clear. Um, there does seem to be some concern about spreading, you know, keeping it within the family and this concern. And they, they give an explanation as to why they don't want to spread it. It's just, as we'll go through, you'll, you can make your own assessment here. Um, so, Alexandria. for some reason, and this is also not clear, why did they stop, why did they stop um, being responsible for making sure that the Lachama Panim was there? Because for some reason, they, because they didn't want to teach it to others, they somehow are no longer doing it. That line is not there in the story either. But when Chazal sent to Alexandria to get expert bakers to come, and pr- who are also expert in the preparation of the Lechem Panim, apparently, or some kind of breads, right, bakers. So they would come to kind of replace this baked garmu. However, Shayu Biki'im, I'm sorry, so they were Biki'im B'Lechem Panim. They were great at the baking of it, but not at the removal from the oven. And there seems to be something very complex about this to make sure that it would not break, maybe because they're so large. At this point, I'm now, you know, hypothesizing. Um, but there's another factor, which we're going to see in a moment. The big garmu would take, they would light the fire in the oven, they'd bake the lechem in a mold, in a, in a, I don't know, some kind of dish, right? Some kind of baking dish. And then they would remove the bread from that mold only once they took it already out of the oven. Meaning they first removed the whole thing from the oven and it was fully baked and they would take it out. And in doing so, they would make sure that it would not spoil, which of course is a concern when you're talking about uh, a display bread that's going to be on the shulchan for an entire week. But the other people, these people from Alexandria, would light the fire and they would break, bake bake the lechem upon him, and that would be fine, but they would apparently also tr- somehow remove the bread from the mold that it was baked in while still inside the oven, and apparently before it was fully baked. And that meant, like, I guess because it was somehow raw inside still, or a little bit raw, doughy, it would then spoil. Once Chazal realized that this is what was going on, the sages of the time, I guess, which is an interesting way, Yerdin, I, haven't, I hadn't thought about this until this moment, it's an interesting thing to call the people who are working in the Beit HaMikdash. Yes. But, but I think? think there is, you know, a toggling, you know, of sort of who had Torah knowledge, who were the sages. And also I think it's in recognition of that these crafts, you know, or the running, the, the um, artisan piece of the Beit HaMikdash, you know, required was a combination of artisan knowledge, but also halachic knowledge. Like the way we prepared them wasn't just an artist saying, this is how I'm going to prepare it. It was based in halacha as well. Okay, that's a fair assessment. Thank you for that. So, once the Chachamim at the time became aware of this, everything that Hashem has created, he created for his own glory. And this is from a verse in, in Mishlei and from Proverbs that Hashem has made everything for his own purpose. Meaning, if your lechem upon him has gone bad, if it has gotten moldy, then it will not be glorifying God. So then what's the point? The implication is that they have to go kind of eat humble pie and go back to the house of Garmu and ask them to come back. Now, again, I don't know, and maybe we'll find the story elsewhere. I don't know why they left, why Garmu stopped doing their job to begin with. Um, but I, and I haven't found it, meaning, but that doesn't mean we won't yet. In any case, they... Go when they send for them. 
ולא רצו לבוא עד שכפלו להם שכרן. And then, so they send for them, they send for Beit Garmu, and Beit Garmu, the people do not want to come back to do the baking until they get their double salary. Good negotiators here. They went from getting 12 money, 12 portions of whatever the salary was, to getting 24. And Rabbi Huda said, no, no, they had been getting 24, and now they get them 48. So the difference between 12 to 24 and 24 to 48 does not bother me one way or another, although I don't know why Rabbi Huda says this either. But the basic question is, you know, why, why didn't they want to teach anybody, right? Like that's, that seems to be the, the sticking point, why something happened that made them leave because they weren't going to be teaching, they weren't willing to teach others to the extent that they called in other people from Alexandria, and this is, you know, again, this is the crux of the story. Why didn't you want to teach people? We have this tradition in our hands. We had tradition in our family that this house, meaning this house, this temple, the Beit HaMikdash, will be destroyed in the future. We don't want to teach people how to do the Lechem Apanim, and then they will make this same kind of Lechem Apanim that we make dedicated to Hashem, that they would dedicate it in, in an idolatrous way. They don't want to, they don't want anybody to, they don't want it to fall into the hands of the wrong people. That's the bottom line. They say, you know, this is actually a, a praiseworthy thing. They never um, found any of this kind of bread outside of the Beit HaMikdash. They weren't eating this bread. It was simply the temple, the temple worship, right? This was their contribution, and they did it in such a proficient way. And, and again, they never, they never overstepped their bounds. They, the refusal to participate seems to be uh, to protect the sanctity, I guess, of this recipe or the, the, the know-how, right, of how to remove it properly, and then nobody should learn how to do that, and then, you know, rededicate that same approach to an idolatrous uh, worship. And then, basically, we have the same exact story with the house of Avtinas. Beit Avtinas uh, were the experts of Masik Torah. They were the, they did the preparation of the incense, and they had the knowledge of the recipe. Bikiyun and again, they also didn't want to teach it to others. And again, we're not told why at this point. And again, they seem not to be continuing in their job. And again, Chachamim sent to Alexandria. And the people come and they make a beautiful incense mixture. But they didn't get the ashan lo They didn't get the, get it to smoke quite right. And so then... Again, uh, so how, what's the difference, right? So the Ktoret of Beit Avtinas, it would go up straight up like a staff to the ceiling and it would spread out and it would come down, as opposed to the incense of the people from Alexandria, which would simply spread out right away. So again, Chazal realizes, and again, they send, they, they eat their humble pie. And this time we've got a verse from Yishayahu that, that supports the idea that everything is um, for the glory of Hashem, and they call out to Beit Avtinas to come back. And again, they negotiate for double their compensation. And again, we've got Rabbi Huda saying not 12, uh, not 12 to 24, but 24 to 48. And 
then again, why don't you want to teach to other people? They said, the exact same thing. They have a tradition. They have a, a handed down piece of wisdom, I suppose, that the Beit HaMikdash is going to be destroyed. And they don't want um, anybody who's an idolater to be able to prepare the incense in this special way. And again, they're mentioned in this way for a praiseworthy um, decision. None of their wives went out perfumed in their special ketoret mixture, right? The ketoret was simply, the incense was simply for the Beit HaMikdash. They didn't overstep their bounds. They made sure that even if they married a woman from somewhere else, it was always on the condition that she not wear perfume, lest anybody come to suggest that this family was maligning um, the the Torah of the Beit Hamikdash. And again, the idea is that they are blame free in their conduct, uh, so that they are at no point. Um, overstepping their bounds or making use of the Torah for anything other than the glory of God. So these two stories are exactly parallel or the, to the extent possible, given that it's different actual activities. And I, I'm still struck by the fact like what happened to make each of them kind of what leave in a huff. I, I don't know that that happened. It just kind of reads that way. It feels that way to me that something happened that suddenly they're not doing their jobs anymore because they refused to teach it to others. Some they said, fine, so we won't do it at all. And then they had to call to the others and realize it was not as good as what these two families knew how to do. And the the bottom line is that the glory of God becoming, you know, it, is of paramount importance. The fact that Chachamim were able to say, you know what, we're going to go back to these families that know better, and we're going to make sure that they get whatever they need. You know, as I say, it's, on the one hand, it's good negotiating tactics. On the other hand, it's a little bit of bullying. But at the end of the day, Chachamim, Chachamim go along with it, really, because they want the glory of God. And that, I think, is, you know, a, a lesson to us all. Right. I mean, we see things like this happen today, right? People try to get something done for cheaper or not as well, then they're not happy with it. And I think, in a way, this is really respecting the craft that was involved with certain things in the Beit HaMikdash. Um, and even the piece of how careful the families were to not use certain things, you know, one, you know, that the children didn't eat white bread or they, the wives didn't wear perfume uh, so that there was no suspicion at all that any piece of what they did for the Beit HaMikdash was going to be misused. Um, but the story, you know, it starts off as maybe it's not speaking so nicely about them. And then it sort of ends that it is speaking nicely about them. Um, so it's interesting to see the Gemara is a little ambivalent here. And I, I'm not sure. I, I think you could interpret this story in multiple ways. I think so. I mean, I think at the end of the day, I think that the people to follow here are Chazal, right? The Chachamim who first say, like, don't don't be stuck up about this, right? That seems to be what has happened. And then at the end of the day, they say, okay, we are going to make sure that the best happens because we care about that for the glory of Hashem, as opposed to saying, you know, we're going to stay in a huff. We're going to keep, we're going to keep the fight alive. I think that there's something to be learned from the fact that everybody sets aside their own I'm not sure that the houses do, but that the Chachamim set aside their own priorities 
their own priorities for the sake of Hashem, prioritizing Hashem. Yeah. I just want to conclude with one quick story here about Rabbi Akiva, because it's such a typical Rabbi Akiva story. And then we'll wrap up. I'm a Rabbi Akiva. So a little bit further down, Sakli Shimon ben Logo. Shimon ben Logo told him the following. I was once collecting grasses. I need the Tinokahad Michel Beit Avnitnas. So one of these children from the from the house of Avnitnas. And I saw that he was crying. And then I saw that he laughed. I said to him, Why do you cry? Because the glory of my father's house was decreased. Why do you laugh? Because of the glory prepared for the righteous in the future. And I asked him, what did you see? My last shan lenegdi. I saw this herb, the malash shan, growing opposite me. Numeti lo. I said to him, bini heriuli. Show it to me. Amarli, this child says, Rabbi, masorat biadi me abotai. I have a tradition for my family. Shalola harot livrio, not to show it to any person. Now, I love this story. Normally, we see these stories where Rabbi Akiva is laughing, right? But here, it's a story where Rabbi Akiva is sort of relaying a story of crying and laughter. Um, and, you know, sort of the idea that like, yes, their kavod was uh, decreased, but at the same time, they also see the kavod of Hashem uh, was increased. And it also sort of continues this theme that there is sort of something secret or or a, a certain uh, hiddenness with many of these crafts. And the fact that this child knew that he could not even reveal what the herb is, uh, you know, that sort of these are things that God willing will be revealed to us when and if the you know, third Beit HaMikdash gets rebuilt. I mean to that. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydrant website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. Please make sure to sign up for our CM, which will be, God willing, on April 11th. And until tomorrow, go and learn.